This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 319, submission number 16, Mr. President. Mr. President aired on Fox from May 3rd, 1987 to February 13th, 1988 for 24 episodes over two seasons. Another one of those, every TV show that ever failed has a story. This story has three sort of converging paths. The first one has to do with Johnny Carson, who is looking to make bank off of his big name at NBC. Because for the last 25 years, as this show started to air... I know this because I spent all week looking at all promos, and one of them was the uh, 25th anniversary of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That's coming next year. Johnny Carson was making substantial bank. And with his clout, he's pretty much given carte blanche to do whatever he wants. At this point, you see him branching out his Carson production shingle, to include Amen with Sherman Hemsley and Clifton Davis. But it also included another show that, I don't know if it was pitched to NBC, but it ended up coming on Fox. Which we are going to talk about in our second path here. In 1987, the Fox Broadcasting Company, having just started out as a network, was looking for something, anything, to put on their schedule. So, for the first season, they only did Sunday nights. And the Sunday night schedule went as follows. At 7 o'clock, you had 21 Jump Street, gritty crime drama featuring police officers who could pass for high schoolers. Married with Children at 8 o'clock. At 8.30 was the Tracy Ellman Show, a sketch comedy featuring the British multi-hyphenate responsible for the 80s lost gem They Don't Know. At 9.30, we have Duet, 
which was a look inside the relationship of two people and their friends and the dog. But at 9 o'clock, we have Mr. President, this show, which was created by Johnny Carson and one of the brightest comedic stars to ever come out of the 1970s, Ed Weinberger. We, I we've believe we've talked, talked about, about, we've talked oh, about no, him. Oh, there's no, we've, oh, I think we've talked about him. He was the voice of Mr. Smith. See, I know. Why is Greg, wait, 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 wait. Why is Greg looking at me like this is a new revelation? I was just like, yeah, Mr. Smith. Episode two. Yeah, here's the voice of Mr. Smith. Episode two, exactly. Also, yep. hashtag, give us Mr. Smith. Come on, Shout Factory. Come on, Keto Lorber. Come on, Crackle. Come on, anybody. But yeah, after having success with Mr. Smith and uh, some show about a taxi in New York, I forget what the name of it was. I bet it had a person named Tony on it. I bet you it did. And I bet you it had that person named Tony playing a guy named Tony. And I also bet you it had a guy doing a funny foreign voice. Thank you very much. And also, it would have the future Frank Reynolds. Oh, yeah. And also, it would have a guy who would later invent a time machine. Out of DeLorean? And that brings us to path number three. A guy who wasn't really looking to do television. In fact, he said, as he was doing press junkets for this show that he was trying to retire for the last 20 years with no avail. And that would be legendary actor George C. Scott. And kids, if you don't know who George C. Scott is, I got one word for you. Patton. That's all you really need to know. You're right. I think he won every award in the book for playing George Patton. I think he didn't accept the Oscar for that, though. I think he pulled a, um, a Marlon Brando when he won the Oscar for it. He didn't accept it. I'm going to have to do some live research on that well, one. Well, Marlon Brando would have been after uh, George C. Scott. Because Brando would have been 72, and Scott would have been 70, I believe. Yeah, but I think he did it first before Brando. If I'm not mistaken. But yeah, this is an actor who has done everything under the sun, but has not been on a solid TV series since he played social worker Neil Brock in East Side, West Side in 1963. And he only agreed, and this is him talking, he only agreed to do the show because of the talent involved, the challenge of the role, and the chance to make enough money to quit show business forever. Scott said, and this is according to an article from the Florida Sun Sentinel, Retirement, the key to my existence. I've been trying to retire for 20 years, and economically it hasn't been possible. Well, it is 1986, 1987, so. This show was incredibly stacked with talent. It had some of the best sitcom writers up to that point. With David Lloyd, Ed Weinberger, Johnny Carson, and Gene Reynolds. 
It also had some of the best actors up to that point. We'll get to those in a moment. But it seems like with some of the best actors and some of the best writers, it never really found its place. So why is that? Well, we'll find out as we talk about the series. The plot of the series is that we have a newly elected president of the United States in Samuel Arthur Tretch, the former governor of Wisconsin. Joining him in the Oval Office were his wife, Meg, their two children, 16-year-old Cynthia and 12-year-old Nick, and his chief of staff, Charlie Ross. During the second season, his wife would have left him, and joining the cast would be his sister-in-law, Lois. We'll get to who plays who, oh, right now. George C. Scott, of course, played President Samuel Tretch. His wife, Meg, was played by Carlin Glynn, who is a life member of the Actors Studio, who made her Tony-winning Broadway debut in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, playing Mona Stangley. She was also the mother of Molly Ringwald's character in Sixteen Candles, if you remember that movie. But mostly, she's known for being the mother of Mary Stuart Masterson. Playing eldest daughter Cynthia is Maddie Corman, who was one of the regulars on, if I'm not mistaken, All-American Girl with Margaret Cho. And uh, a week's worth of MathNet episodes where she is the best friend of an unwitting robot pitcher. But mostly, she has been in Younger on TV land as of late. Younger's son, Nick, is played by Andre Gower, who is, nowadays, he's more of a writer and director, but he's been in a few things. Like, from 1988 to 1989, he was Steve Traeger on Valerie, Valerie's Family, The Hogan Family, whatever it was called. In 1988. What was it called in 1988? I think, wasn't it Valerie's family after the second season and then it became the Hogan family after the yes. third season? Yes. And while we're on MathNet, he was also on a week's worth of MathNet episodes playing Eddie Rimshot Harris, the best friend of rock star Steve Stringbean. And rounding out the cast is chief of staff, Charlie Ross, is Conrad Bain. Y'all know who Conrad Bain is. We're talking mod. We're talking different strokes. What else is there? I think that's it. Yeah, it is pretty much it. And so we have President Tretch trying to juggle work life and family life, which is hard when you're the President of the United States. And it gets even harder during season two when his wife leaves him, leaving the responsibility of raising Nick and Cynthia to 
Lois Gullickson, the president's sister-in-law, played by Madeline Kahn, legendary. We have all of these people, and this is supposed to be sort of a slice of life when we're talking about the president, his work life, and his home life. But the thing of it is, and I'm looking at a press junket that they did with uh, George C. Scott and Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson said, this is not a situation comedy. I would call it more of a drama with humor and with comedy and all the other emotions people have within a family. I watched two episodes on YouTube. It sort of reads as a comedy. I guess the thought was to do a drama with comedic elements. But then they looked at the ratings and nobody watched it. So they decided, you know what, screw it. We're just going to make a sitcom. Because both of the episodes that are available on YouTube as of this recording are very much sitcom-y in their sort of feeling, in their sort of timbre. One of them involves a visit to the dentist. I mean, it's not exactly that's my Bush-level sitcom drudgery, but it definitely looks like a duck and talks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Now, we've tried up and down for the last week to search for an episode guide so we can get more of a feeling of how much of a sitcom this reads like. But all we found were those two episodes that were on YouTube. And they were both from the second season with Madeline Kahn starting out her life as the sister-in-law of the president and just getting used to life as a member of the first family. You know, you have a secret service agent go shopping at Kmart with you. Hold on a second. I just realized something. Madeline Kahn played the first lady to Bob Newhart in the movie First Family. And do you know who played their daughter in that movie? Who played their daughter in that movie? Gilda Radner. Yeah. That was a Buck Henry joint, I think, First Family. I'm going to have to look at that later. Because it seems like it would be a whole lot better watch than, well, this show. Yeah. But let's see what we have going on here. Because there may not be a lot of episode descriptions, but there are a lot of guest stars. And I believe that would be Johnny Carson using his clout in order to secure all of these guest stars. So let's see what we have here. In the pilot alone, the pilot alone that aired in May... We had Allie Mills playing a character named Pat. Of course, this would be a year before she landed the role that made her career as Kevin Arnold's mama on The Wonder Years. Oh, yeah. There's a second episode, The Magnetic Presidency. We have a character named Brian played by Jack Blessing, who would have at this point be a couple of decades removed from bit roles in Talladega Nights and Megamind, but during the late 80s, early 90s, would have found him in a recurring role as McGillicuddy in Moonlighting. Some walk by night. By the way, that theme music is a banger. Oh, hold on a second, because I think a while back we talked about 
how Moonlighting was not on streaming. I think uh, it was in the news recently that Glenn Gordon Karen announced that they're getting Moonlighting ready for streaming soon. Well, if they could put Doctor Who on Disney+, Plus, I suppose anything's possible. Yep. Now, which service were they going to put this on? Um, I'm going to guess it's probably Hulu or Disney+, Plus, since Moonlighting was an ABC-owned show. It's probably going to be Hulu. Okay. Oh, Jack Blessing, by the way, played Chip Fry in Small and Fry, future entry there. Episode 3, Cabin Fever. This is really tough without uh, an episode guide. I'm not going to lie to you here. Nobody have note on that episode. Episode 4, Freedom of Speech. In the role of Constance Garrett, we have Linda Carlson, who played Aunt Pearl in the 1993 Beverly Hillbillies movie. Oh, the 1983 Beverly Hillbillies movie with uh, Jim Varney. In the Buddy Epson role, yes. That's right. And uh, did Oswald from Drew Carey play Jethro? Uh, yes. That is correct. And, oh, she was also a recurring player on the 1985 and 1986 seasons of Newhart as Bev Dutton. One of the writers of this episode, Jonathan Lynn, who wrote Clue. So like I said, big talent attached to this show. And speaking of big talent, episode 5, Meet the People, was written by David Lloyd, who would have been writing for multiple sitcoms at this point, most notably, Cheers. And playing the role of Wesley in this episode, Ian Petrella, who you would know as Randy Parker in A Christmas Story. Oh, by the way, did you know that A Christmas Story is getting a sequel soon on HBO Max? Yes, A Christmas Story Christmas. Peter Billingsley back as Ralphie. Yeah, I, I saw that. I think it's coming like the second week of November, like... 14th, 15th, something like that. I'm yeah, going to have to make time to watch that because I, did, I didn't even see the trailer yet. I was too busy sleeping. Yeah. Well, also, I think uh, Vince Vaughn is a producer on the movie because, yeah, him and uh, Peter Billingsley have been longtime producing partners with Favreau. So. There is your triumvirate there. Vince Vaughn, John Favreau, and Peter Billingsley. By the way, did you see Vince Vaughn was on the Manning cast last week? I did see. He played the role of long-suffering Bears fan. Yeah, but they talked. It was so hilarious. Payne and Eli talked about the one scene in the movie Rudy where his character threw a pass. And they actually asked, was that you actually throwing the pass? And he was like... I remember that. He was like, no, that was like a double. And we only had like two tries to do the scene. So they asked me to get the hell off the field. <laughs> I'm going to add one more name here in this episode. Playing Bullard is Barry Corbin. He's had a ton of roles. He played Coach Whitey in One Tree Hill. He was also Ed on Anger Management, the TV series uh, with Charlie Sheen. You remember that was on like FX yeah. for a while, then was in syndication? Yeah. But he has a very diverse uh, resume, to say the least. 
He was also uh, on uh, Northern Exposure. Maurice Minifield. And I know how much we love our Northern Exposure. Gassy Moose. Gassy Moose. And we know how much Greg likes his Northern Exposure. Not as much as Wings, though. Oh, no. I love Wings. It made Tony Shalhoub's career. Episode 6, Private Moments. Nothing there. Episode 7, The First Son-in-Law. Here, I'm guessing we have a wedding between somebody in the president's family, which would actually, hold on, I have her name here. The eldest daughter, Jennifer, played by Susan Wheeler Duff, is visiting the president with her new husband. Her new husband, by the way, Fred, played by Fred McCarran, who sadly is no longer with us. But he was in the Richard III cast in the cinematic classic, The Goodbye Girl. So his name was Fred, and his character's name was Fred. Yes, and also yes. That's about as lazy as naming that tornado on Erie, Indiana. Old Bob as credited as himself. I thought you were going to say that's as lazy as any Tony Danza character being named Tony. That is lazy. Except on Baby Talk. He played Mickey. Mickey. Not to be confused with Mikey from Look Who's Talking. Two different people. Two different people. Tony Danza's not Bruce Willis. We all know this. Yeah. We already had this conversation a few weeks ago. Yeah. Speaking of a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about Fred in previous entries. Here's Boomer, and you're going to make me say this again. I'm a big girl now. Well, congratulations. <laughs> and as we also learned, I'm a big girl now was the name of that clothing place that her Abrams ran. Oh, <laughs> Craig, oh. no. You knew I was going to work in a Herb Abrams reference. Anytime you have a chance to, you're going to do it, aren't you? Yes. Oh, boy. Let's just go to episode eight, shall we? Uncle Sam. I'm guessing that's a play on words, and we meet the Treach's nephew, which I'm not sure is actually in this episode, but we do have a guy by the name of Justin, played by Robin Thomas, who is in the crazy ex-girlfriend, also played Dr. Fred Harmon in two episodes of Fuller House. Of course, that would be uh, Jeff Harmon's father. Jeff Harmon and DJ had a thing. Episode 9, Strange Bedfellows. We have a couple of big names in this episode. Uh, Playing the role of Peggy would be Barbara Barry, who played Harriet Benjamin, in the original theatrical Private Benjamin, but also originated the role of Elizabeth Miller, the wife of the titular captain, Barney Miller. Oh, Chico, don't forget your money in the bank for next year, because she was on Double Trouble. She was on Double Trouble. Aunt Margot. Mm-hmm. Season two, baby. We'll talk more about that in January. Oh, we have another big name on this show. Uh, playing Janet Braden would be Kay Callan, and really, what hasn't she done? She was great Nana Wanetta 
in Knives Out. She was Judy Sherman on Veep. She was Martha freaking Kent, Clark Kent's mother, on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. She was Grandma Lois in How I Met Your Mother. You know who Grandma Lois is, right? Is she Marshall's grandma? I think she was Lily's grandma. Okay, I was close. And she was also in... Oh gosh, she was in episodes of everything, it seems like. She played Tilly, Hank's mother, in three episodes of King of the Hill. I guess they couldn't get uh, Tammy Wynette back. And Betty's mom... Greg, I'm about to do a callback here. Okay. Betty's mom in 1987's The Return of the Shaggy Dog. Oh, that's right, because we all remember that Betty's dad was played by Jim McCrell. Yep, Jim McCrell and Kay Callen, mom and dad. And you know what? If you have not listened to The Return of the Shaggy Dog, which was my money in the bank last year. Very good choice there, Greg. I gotta say, doesn't get as a lot of views or listens, but I gotta tell you, you should listen to it, because I think that was a pretty damn good episode. Especially the part when Wilby as the dog was playing in the commercial dog poker and three-card Monty. I was dead. You were dead. You were deceased. You were like, I am dead. I am deceased. R.I.P. me. Dog poker is hilarious. I don't care what anybody says. Dog poker is indeed hilarious. And then we go into the season finale, Love's Labor Last, where we see the return of Peggy, Brian, and Justin, but we also see Meg decide, you know what? I'm out. And that comes into bear for season two, which would have premiered two months later on September 27th, 1987. Because, you know, the first season of Fox as a primetime network was basically that summer. And that fall, they moved from just Sundays to Sundays and Saturdays, which included, of course, Beans Baxter and Second Chance, both of which we discussed in previous episodes. Because remember, originally, when Fox started out, they were advertised as Fox Weekend Television. It started with a two-parter season two dear sam parts one and two where we see lois move into the white house and help raise the two kids cynthia and nick we also see the return of justin and in a role as mort lee weaver who has been in a whole lot of stuff i mean he was the blind seer in Oh Brother Where Art Thou. He was Joe in The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and he played a junkyard owner. God, it's been a long time since I did this, but I finally get to do it in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What episode and what season? Uh, That would be Bubs Making a Mess All Over the City. <laughs> yes. Season 3, episode 14. Bumps making a mess all over the city. 
where Dee and Mac become guardian angels and clean up the streets when a bum starts using the alley behind the bar to uh, relieve himself, but not the way you're thinking of. <laughs> they became guardian angels. Where was Curtis Sewa to do a guest spot on this episode? He was also a that guy from that thing. In fact, I'm trying to see where he had like a lasting role in a series. And that would actually be in 1986's Easy Street with Lonnie Anderson. Oh, future entry Easy Street with Lonnie Anderson. Yeah, he did that at the same time he recorded a voice as Alpine in G.I. Joe the Movie. Oh, yes, G.I. Joe the Movie. And you know who was in G.I. Joe the Movie, Chico? Sergeant Slaughter. Yes, Sergeant Slaughter had a voice in G.I. Joe the Movie. Yeah, little did he know that that movie was not going to see theatrical release. No. There's a whole story about this, but I'm just going to sum it up by saying Optimus Prime died so Duke could live. Let me just say, I think the reason that this did not have a theatrical release explains why Sergeant Slaughter turned heel and joined Iraq in the WWF. Okay, so Lee Weaver was in a lot of things dating back to 1955's Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, not the reboot with Tina Lee Nolan, the original. The one with Tanya Roberts, right? Or no, the original. The original, 1955. Okay, good, good. Not the Tanya Roberts one. That's terrible. We try not to talk about the Tanya Roberts one. And we see the return in part two of eldest daughter Jennifer, played by Susan Wheeler Duff, and Fred, played by Fred McCarran. And the director for both of these episodes, somebody we talked about on a previous entry, Greg Antonacci, who would have parlayed his acting talents from making it to directing. Episode 3, Armageddon Kinda Sore. I'm guessing that we have a bit of a, a doomsday scenario in this episode, but we don't know for sure. But we do know for sure that this show had two big names on it. Playing the role Bosdeck, Dan Florick, best known for a career-making role on Law and Order. And playing the role of Rhinebeck, Robert Picardo, known for a career-making role as the Doctor in Star Trek Voyager. Episode 4, he'll have to go. Oh god, we have a legend in this episode here. We don't know the name of the uh, character he played, but Joe Seneca, legendary actor Joe Seneca, he was in this episode. He was in 1988's The Blob. He was in 1992's Malcolm X. And he was in Edge of Night as Skipper. Episode Five. Okay, this was one of the episodes that's actually available on YouTube. The Language Barrier. And I can tell you right now about this episode. The president needs an interpreter to handle his business while he's getting ready for a summit with the Russians in Iceland. And he also needs his tooth extracted. Oh, I've been there. 
Yeah. Suffice it to say, hilarity ensues, especially when Charlie can't bring himself to look at the drill or the needle or anything at the uh, dentists, to be honest. Now's as good of a time as any to take a little commercial break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. After these messages, we'll be right back. Sunday, Al Bundy drops the hammer on a night-stalking neighborhood menace. Al, tell him. You gotta promise me that you'll let me finish. Sure, Al. I shot your dog. Oh, no. I'm finished. Outrageous comedy on Married with Children. Sunday at 8 on Fox Channel 5. Want a great entertainment that's not too expensive? You should see cable TV now. Call 1-800-OK-CABLE. See 175 exclusive World Championship Mets and Yankees games. See a complete news report anytime you want to. I like what I see. Call 1-800-OK-CABLE. See quality shows for kids and families. See exclusive Knicks and Rangers games plus MSG premier events. See acclaimed films and performing arts specials. I like what I see. Call 1-800-OK-CABLE. See music Max Headroom style, James Brown style, just your style. See exclusive U.S. Open tennis and Masters golf coverage. I like what I see. See us now and get 50% off installation. See how to get more value from your VCR. See your satisfaction guaranteed. Get cable TV now. You're going to like what you see. But to see us now, you've got to call us now. 1-800-OK-CABLE. I like it. Me too. Hi, that's me again, Richard Golden of Rescue, with some knockout spring fashions. The comfortable, easy-going look in short sleeve shirts and shorts. All at Rescue, in the village, on Hudson, off Christopher. Naturally, we're doing our commercial in Florida. Why? So I can visit my mother. Meet Ben and Laura. In four weeks, it could all be over. Oh, no, the I like you speech. In three weeks, they have their first fight. Cut the sweet talk, Ben. I'm angry. In two weeks, Laura falls for Ben. In one week, Ben falls for Laura. Sunday, they meet. Duet. Episode 6. Lois Gate. I'm guessing Lois gets in trouble, which, let's be honest, when she moved into the White House, she was basically on the cusp of getting in trouble every week. I honestly think Madeline Kahn was added to the cast to um, try and boost ratings, try and get eyeballs, and try to make everything, I don't know, funny? Possibly. Possibly. Episode 7. Yes, Mr. President. And we have, in this episode, a guy named Dave, played by Earl Bone. If I'm not mistaken, we've talked about Earl Bone in the past. Oh, we've talked about him many times in the past. I think we talked about him in Second Chance, because he played uh, Matthew Perry's boss in Second Chance. Yep. And also, I believe he was the doctor in uh, the Terminator movies. The psychiatrist. He He was the psychiatrist in the Terminator movies, yes. And he was also Mr. Peterson in five episodes of Who's the Boss? And of course, Mike, how many times do we have to say this? We all know who the boss was on that show. It was Mona. Mona was the boss on Who's the Boss? 
I think we've said that several times. Yes. There's no doubt. Catherine Hellman, she was the boss. Episode 8. Lois gets lucky. One of the names in this episode, and again, no idea whose name, what the character's name was, but a big name on this episode, Steve Landisberg. Of course, he played Arthur Dietrich on Barney Miller. Episode 9. The President's Brother. Playing the role of the President's Brother, I'm guessing, is Eugene Roche. Who would be the landlord in Season 2 onward of Webster. Webster! Yeah, he was the landlord for like 50 episodes because at the beginning of Season 2... um. Webster had a little bit of an accident involving a teddy bear and safety matches. Oh, yeah. Oh, Mr. Papadopoulos was not very happy, I bet. But they found his hat, though, so... Also, let's not forget that Eugene Roche, he was E. Ronald Malou on Soap for every season, primarily the first season into the second season... Because that season ended on a cliffhanger with a trial. Because I believe Jessica Tate, I think she was on trial for murdering the tennis pro who was yeah. played by Robert Urich. Yes. But he made uh, appearances throughout the series. But he was best known as one of the lawyers in the trial that concluded season one and started season two, that cliffhanger. Yes, he was also, and I'm just looking at this, and Mike, you would probably know more about this than I would. He played Jack Sullivan on three episodes of Night Court. We've talked about him. That's Christine Sullivan's dad. We have talked about that in the past, yes. Okay. Episode 10. The Christmas Story. Yeah. Oh, we got a big name in this one. Playing the role of Pereira, Pepe Serna. Pepe Serta played Reno, Nevada in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Okay, good. You, you didn't add 17 dimensions this time. Okay, not the 25th dimension. I'm okay. proud of myself! You did a good job. But also, he played Mr. Sanchez on the PJs. I remember that show. I love that show. Oh, that show still... I, I know it's somewhere streaming. I saw it not that long ago. I mean, probably two or three years at this point, but it's out there. But, oh, the PJs was a good show. It really was. I believe and it's on Tubi. I believe you are correct. Because everything's on Tubi. Everything is on Tubi, yes. He was also on six episodes of Future Entry Second Chances because we can't talk about enough shows named Second Chances. Episode 11, Insecurity. Two big names in this episode. Play the Surgeon General, William Bogert. A.K.A. Mr. Brindle from Small Wonder. A.K.A. Uh, Ted Lawson's boss. And playing Agent Bell, Christine Rose, A.K.A. Ted's mom on How I Met Your Mother. Which we've talked about copious times on this show oh yes we have but also remember who played ted's dad on how i met your mother 
Yes, I do. Michael Gross. <laughs> Episode 12, A Royal Send-Off. I'm guessing the president has an audience with the king, played by Oliver Darrow. And let me guess what happens. Hilarity ensues. Yes. By the way, Oliver Darrow, he was in Tequila and Benetti as Sam Speed. Oh, that's great. Tequila and Benetti. Another great Donald Pelissaro joint. Oh, by the way, you know who's in Tequila and Benetti? No, but I bet you're going to tell me. Charles Rockets in Tequila and Benetti. Oh, boy. Not only that. Oh, no. Terry Funk is in Tequila and Benetti. <laughs> oh, no. Jeez. Oh. You know what? The moment we talk about Tequila and Benetti, Greg's just going to absolutely lose it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> the dog talking. That is oh, just boy. awesome. He was also on an episode of Silk Stalkings. Was so, he the man whore of the week? He was the man whore of the week. Oh, that's terrific. He was the man whore of the week. I never thought I'd hear Greg say the word man whore. <laughs> it was almost a certainty, dude. It was almost a certainty. And also in an unnamed role, we have Bill Morey. Of course... He was in a whole lot of things. He was Judge Wakefield in seven seasons of Dallas. He was a whole lot of voices in G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe the movie. And he played Lieutenant Sean Fisk in future entry Tucker's Witch. Oh, that's right. Tucker's Witch with um, Catherine Hicks. Yes. And Tim Matheson. Yes. And Ted Danson as the killer in both pilots. That's right. And I was shocked when I saw it. I'm like, Sam Malone is the killer in the pilot? Yep. Episode 13. All about Gene. I'm guessing there is a Gene in this episode, but I don't know who she is or who played her. Sorry about that. Who cares? 8.30 is the McMahon. And the final episode, get a job. Somebody is getting a job. Hold on. That's what Fox said to everybody who worked on the show after the last episode. Get a job. Hey, one of the people who worked on this episode would not have long await to getting a job because... This episode was written by SNL writer John Schwartzwalder, who would go on to write several episodes of The Simpsons. Several? It's many episodes of The Simpsons. Hundreds of episodes of The Simpsons. Yeah, including my personal favorite, the Whacking Day episode. With Barry White, leave all the snakes alone. Don't bother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't bother the snakes. <laughs> Leave the snakes alone. That's the show. And we are no closer to answering the question about what happened. I'll tell you what happened. It was on Fox in 1987. Nobody watched it. Yeah, let's go over the schedule one more time. 
21 Jump Street, Married with Children, The Tracy Ellman Show, Mr. President, and Duet. It's no big brainstorm as to what the weak link was. Well, no, I'm going to do a different reason. If you look at the schedule, on each of the other three networks was their Sunday night movie of the week. So you're going against a movie on ABC, a movie on CBS, and a movie on NBC. And you remember how big those movies of the weeks were on Sunday nights back then. Oh, yeah. movies movies of the week. I mean, they're not really so much of thing anymore, but back in like the 80s and 90s, like when you had like a big movie airing for the first time on television, that was like an event back then. Oh yeah, it was a Sunday night event. Absolutely, yeah. And if you didn't have a big movie that was airing for the first time on television, you had a movie made especially for television. That had to be sort of event programming. Hence the uh, billing, the movie of the week. Like, uh, in 1987, when Mr. President was on, and by the way, at this point, it would be rating a 3.3 in between Duet's 3.6 and Tracy Ellman Show's 3.6. Also, both in repeats. It was airing opposite Lace from 1984 and Malice in Wonderland from 1985, both of which scored double or triple what Mr. President was pulling. You know, if you can get a 3.3 in October of 2022, you're guaranteed renewal. Pretty much, yeah. But then the week of August 23rd, when Mr. President was in reruns, it was on opposite The Man Who Fell to Earth, which was basically a retread of the classic story, and Circus of the Stars, and Staying Alive with John Travolta, all of which scored triple, if not quadruple, what Mr. President was pulling. Let it be said, 1987, John Travolta, bigger ratings getter than George C. Scott. And then you had the season premiere, which saw Mr. President move from 9 o'clock to 9.30, and the competition was a whole lot tougher then. It was up against... The second half hour of ABC's new entry, Dolly, starring Dolly Parton. CBS's new entry, The Lawn Harry McGraw. Future entry. And something we talked about early in this episode, a rerun of the 1984 theatrical, The Terminator. Yeah, because obviously, Arnold in 1987, big ratings, especially for The Terminator. So the hope was, in flip-flopping Mr. President and the Tracy Ellman show, that the Tracy Ellman show would serve as a bigger lead-in. That did not work out for it. In 1987, you had 21 Jump Street, followed by Married with Children for an hour, a new episode and a rerun. Then you had the Tracy Ellman show, and then you had Mr. President. It worked out for Tracy Ellman, the whole Married with Children lead-in, for Mr. President, 
not so much. No. I mean, it was steady, but at the same time, it wasn't making any waves on its own. And Fox was just content to let it go after 24 episodes. I mean, even Women in Prison, which was new to the lineup, got a 6.3. And it couldn't help out Mr. President. Hold on, you said Women in Prison. Now you're in jail! You were waiting for that, weren't you? Yes, I was. Uh, It's like summoning the boogeyman. Chico, you knew once you said women in prison, you knew he was going to sing it. But it's still very well done, Greg. Hold on, you said the boogeyman. I don't see anyone eating worms around me. Oh, boy. Ah! Whammy, what are you doing here? He wasn't waiting for the boogeyman. I don't see anything. I what saw are you talking s- about? I saw the whammy. Ah! Yeah, did we mention that uh, in the middle of season two, the show went on hiatus for a bit? No. Because that would have been important. It actually cycled between Saturday and Sunday rather than going on hiatus. In fact, it was really hard to figure out what time it would have been on because it's flip-flopped from Saturday to Sunday so much. In fact, I got the uh, Saturday lineup here. Did it help? Let's see. Mr. President, Women in Prison, Beads Baxter, and Second Chance. I'm guessing it did not help. It was on opposite The Facts of Life and two short-lived series, High Mountain Rangers on CBS and O'Hara, which we talked about in a previous entry. There was something about High Mountain Rangers that was actually notable. Oh, yeah. It started Robert Conrad and his two real-life sons, Christian Conrad and Shane Conrad. But aside from that, Mr. President just didn't have much staying power, despite the fact that it had top-notch talent attached to it. It didn't work on Sundays, and it didn't work on Saturdays. And at the end of the season in 1987, Fox was content to uh, move on from both Ed Weinberger and Johnny Carson and search for something new. Thoughts, guys? Yeah, it's like, okay. I know it's Fox in 1987, but who's going to want to tune in to see George C. Scott on Fox as the president in a like sitcom? I think the only reason I'd want to see it is for Conrad Bain. That's it. Because I love Conrad Bain. I'm going to agree with what Greg said. George C. Scott doing comedy? That just doesn't work. And I know it's like a comedy drama, but also at the same time, Johnny Carson doing non-comedy or a a very light drama? That's sort of cringeworthy to me. Stay in your own lane. You're good at comedy. Don't try crossing the streams, if you will. 
well, like I said, there are two episodes out on the YouTube, and both of them very much look like a sitcom. They very much have sitcom guts, sitcom vibes. This was written by sitcom writers. It was probably, you know, you probably didn't want to make light of the fact that you're talking about the president, but again, this is the private life of a very public individual. Of course it is going to be funny. Problem was, it was on Fox in 1987, and no one was watching Fox in 1987. And can I just point out, there's an ad I saw for this show on WNYW talking about this show and the people's reaction, and one of the questions is, Everybody in New York is talking about Mr. President. New York is talking about Mr. President. I'm curious to see uh, how much humor they can get into the presidency. And let me just assure you, okay, I'm going to speak for the people of New York here. In 1987, nobody was talking about Mr. President in New York. Nobody. Yeah, it took a more serious tone than Hail to the Chief, which played it up as a farce, and that's my Bush, which just made fun of the genre wholesale. Hold on. You know what took the presidency more seriously than this show? What's that? Mike, do you remember the Xbox 360 game Hail to the Chimp? I had that game. Yes! That was like a game of mini games, right? And that was friggin' hilarious. Yes. I mean, it, it was like, like what, a $10 game? 20 It was a really cheap game, but it was friggin' hilarious. That took the presidency more seriously than this show. Never thought you'd get a Hail to the Chimp reference on this podcast. And also, I don't think you would have had two people saying, oh, that was a great game. That was hilarious. Well... It would have worked if it were on any other network at any other time, because I looked at the two episodes that were on YouTube. There were really well-written episodes. There were well-acted episodes, and you get the sort of chemistry that you would get from a George C. Scott and a Madeline Kahn together. But it was just on the wrong network at the wrong time. I mean, any other time, any other network, it probably would have made it. But in 1987, on Fox, it would just be a thing on TV. You can elect to listen to more episodes like this on our website. It was a thing on TV.com. And also where fine podcasts can be downloaded and or streamed. Don't forget, like, subscribe, rate, five stars only because positive vibes only. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to hit the notification bell in order to stay up to date on future entries. Next time. Oh, hmm. it's the election day episode. You're going to find out who won. Yep. Are we going to be talking about a grizzled New York detective, a boy band from the 80s, or the second coming of Farrah Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill? You're going to find out next time right here. It was a thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Ladies and gentlemen, 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, allow me to introduce Hail to the Chimp, a game of nefarious cunning political intrigue and clams. That's right, clams! For too long, we have been subjugated, ignored, repressed, abused. Now, we shall ascend to our rightful station in society. Yes! Yes! Power to the clams! Kneel! Things with knees! Kneel before your true master! <laughs> <laughs>